1: Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Very excited to be talking baseball with you today. We're actually recording this a bit early. Today is Tuesday, December 21st. You're not going to see this until almost a week from now, Monday the 27th. The few days leading up to the 27th, for those who are not familiar, can be a little busy. And so we're trying to record early.
2: Yeah, we're, we're getting this in early. I think there's something going on in a couple of days. Big plans. And also, this information is going to hold up because we still don't have anything going on in the baseball world really at all. So you could listen to this in a month and I'm willing to bet none of this information will feel any differently.
1: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I think the the one, one thing, there's been some minor league signings, some guys going to Korea or Japan, but the one thing in major league baseball is that the Guardians apparently have a new minority owner that probably doesn't have a lot of implications on our podcast. But as a Guardians fan, It has a lot of implications for me. team that went to the World Series in 2016 and then was spending in 2017-2018, it was a sort of of middle-of-the-pack salary as opposed to the bottom-dweller salary they've got today. Big change that happened in between that time and now is that they lost their minority owner. They had a minority owner that was spending money and contributing money that went and then bought the Royals. And so... We're talking an influx of three to $400 million probably to the team, maybe more. So it could make a difference in terms of how that team spends in free agency. And so go lock up Jose Ramirez, new minority owner, if you're listening to our podcast. That's that's what I want you to do with your influx. Just give it directly to Jose and keep him there for the rest of his career. Maybe sprinkle a little, a little to to
2: Shane Bieber there. And hopefully we can now finally put to rest the Jose Ramirez trade rumors. Oh,
1: God. That would make <laughs> me so happy. So happy. But part of the reason that this episode is going to be able to be recorded now and listened to whenever is that what we're going to do is continue what we we're doing last week and cover the second half of the mock auction we did. Pete and I, as those of you who've been listening know, participated in a mock auto new first year auction with a bunch of other auto new experts. Last week, we went through five of the teams and talked about the best values on the teams, the worst value on the team, what we thought they did well what they could have done better. We're going to finish that up. We're going to try to get through the other seven teams today. Pete, I, I think we can do it. I think we can do seven teams in one episode. Yeah. The reason we didn't last time is because we spent like
2: 45 minutes on both our teams. So yeah,
1: it's <laughs> well, it's fascinating how that works. Right? It's like we're not even playing this league out, but still I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? What can I do better? What trades can I make in this league that doesn't exist? <laughs> it was yeah. fun, though. It was fun. We'll be able to get through these seven. No problem. I think so. But let's dive right in. The first team we're going to talk about was drafted by Niv Shah. Niv, for those of you who don't know, is the creator of Auto New. He knows the, the functioning of the game literally better than anyone. He is in the original Auto New League that I play in. We've been in that league for 15, 16 years now. So he, he knows what he's doing. What do you think, looking at his team, what stands out to you as sort of his best values? Where did he do really well for himself?
2: Well, after after that introduction for Niv, it's I'm like afraid to say anything, good or bad. But I I thought his best values were Eloy Jimenez at twenty five dollars. I really liked, but I think far and away to me his best value was an eleven dollar Ian Anderson. When you look at the values on other pitchers that went, um, Ian Anderson, I think is just going to be a stud. He looked awesome in the playoffs down the stretch. Um, he had a great rookie season when other. Starting pitchers were struggling. Ian Anderson looked
1: awesome in the short in 2020. I really like Anderson. I I can't believe he only went for eleven bucks. Yeah, I love Anderson as well. And I I agree. I find that to be a a surprising low price. Let's talk a little bit about Eloy Jimenez, though, because I actually thought that was a little high on Jimenez. His projection, when I look at his steamer projection and sort of value that, I get more like a 16 to 20 dollar projection. I think he's better than that. I think that projection's a little low. But I don't know. I mean, I look at his projection and it looks a lot like his career line. Like he's got a 344 career Woba. His projection is a 346. What gives you optimism that he's going to outperform that? Well, first of all, the prospect pedigree and the fact that he's going to be entering his age
2: 25 season, right? Uh, Not to just take the easy way out, but when we're talking about Ottenew, like, yeah, maybe for this season, $25 ends up being a little bit of an overpay, maybe, you know, even maybe it breaks even. I think down the line though, I think that's going to be some decent value on Eloy. I mean, we saw him have that monster rookie season. I I think we can pretty much safely say that that batting average he was able to post in the shortened 2020 is not realistic for him. The 296 mark, I think the strikeout rate's probably going to remain a little too high. Keep that low. He he doesn't
1: profile really as a high BABIP kind of guy. He needed a 340 BABIP to post that 296 average. And I just I don't think he'll be a low BABIP guy. He hits the ball hard enough. Like, I don't think he's like a, you know, a 260 BAPIP guy or a 270 BAPIP guy, but he's not 340 either. No,
2: he's definitely not. But remember how we felt about Eloy just just two years ago, right? And, and he had that great debut season: thirty-one homers, eighty RBI. Then we get the short, warm and fuzzy,
1: rainbows right. and sunshine, yeah. unicorns prancing through the field <laughs> with his head on them. Um, but no, <laughs> he's he, we loved him. We
2: loved him. We were viewing him as a super high pick. He was going in the second round of drafts. I remember some analysts talking pre twenty twenty, pre twenty twenty one, before the shoulder injury. Right? That this was guy who kind of compares to Judge like who do you want in the second round Eloy or Judge I guess maybe at the 2-3 turn but I I still think he has that upside Uh, and it was a horrific shoulder injury he clearly you know I I don't want to say he rushed back but he wasn't himself when he came back and so now with a full off season still so young I'm interested to see the strides I think he could be pretty awesome I think there's 40 homer power obviously in that bat that could easily depending on where he is in the lineup coincide with 100 RBI the walk Numbers maybe aren't going to be so great, and he's going to strike out. And not walking a lot is definitely going to hurt him in this format. But I think he, he still could improve there. He he jumped up to a six point nine walk percentage over the last season, which was the highest of his major of his short major league career. So there's still so much room to grow. I don't think having a twenty five dollar Eloy will sink him this year. And I think
1: eventually the value is going to pass the the price he's paying. That makes sense, and I don't think it'll sink me there because I think. Eloy will produce at some level. I'm just not sure he'll hit $25 of production. The thing that's that's hard to evaluate with him last year is his like his x stats. His Statcast data basically says that what he did last year is legit. Now there's a lot of noise in there, but the biggest thing is he t- he tore a peck muscle. Right? It wasn't his shoulder. It was it was a like a chest muscle or something. I don't I don't remember whatever it was. Whatever it was, it wasn't good. And so like his average EV was down, his max EV was down, his barrel rate was down, his hard hit rate was down. I just don't know how much faith I have in any of those numbers to mean anything, given that injury. So I I'm I, I think I'm I'm hedging a bit on him where like in redraft, I'm probably not gonna end up with him very much because I don't think I'm willing to pay the price. In Otto New, I think this is fine. Like I'm I'm just not willing to call it a great value because I think that there's there's just too much risk there that last year wasn't just injury. It was just sort of who he is. Um and I don't think he'll be as bad as he was last year, but I don't know. I I think he ends up somewhere in between his last two years, which is basically what he's been for his career, which I think is more like, like I said, $15 to $20 outfielder than $25 to $30 outfielder. In terms of other values on Nivs team, he picked up a couple of infielders inexpensively that I really like. One of them is Brandon Belt, and Belt, um he picked up for thirteen bucks, which I think, like, I don't know, I, I feel like everybody just missed just how good Brandon Belt was last year and the year before. The, not, right? Yeah, I was gonna say, and the year before. Yeah, and I get. Like, it's a combined 148 games because he only played 97 last year. His total line over those two seasons, which is 560 plate appearances. Okay. So it's, it's roughly a full season 393 on base percentage, 595 slugging, 38 home runs on a 413 Woba. Like, he was an absolute stud both last year and in 2020. And, I don't know. I mean, yes, he's there's a good chance he's going to miss time given his history. If he gives you 100 games like he did last year, this $13 is still way underpaying what he's worth. And when you look back at his history, like he played almost a full season in 2020. Yeah, it was only 51 games, but it was almost a full season. He played 156 in 2019. He's Then he was 112, 104, 156 before that. Like I don't think it's unreasonable to expect him to be somewhere between 120 and 140 games. And if he does that at the pace he was on last year, he doesn't even have to be on that pace. He could regress from that pace. he will still be a great value. So I, I loved, love that Brandon Belt pick. Yeah, I like Belt too. I think it's a lot to pay though for a guy who over the last
2: two seasons has what less than a hundred plate appearances against lefties. So And I mean, in certain formats, you can say, well, that's a good thing because I don't want Brandon Belt facing lefties. Like, why would I want that? I'm not. I'm not. But volume is so important in this kind of format. I mean, we're literally accumulating points. So I think him not facing lefties quite often could hurt. That's probably why so many people weren't in on him. But at $13, you brought it
1: up the last two seasons. it's It's tough to really argue against that. The other guy he got that I like that I don't think we need to discuss a ton is J.D. Davis. Davis hits. He just he just does I mean I, I don't I don't think that that's a, a big surprise to people his last three seasons his wobas have been 373 339 357 there's no reason to think he won't hit he just needs a new home and that either means the DH needs to come or he needs to get traded but Niv picked him up for three bucks and at this point in the offseason that doesn't necessarily feel like a great deal but if if we find out tomorrow that the NL has the DH or we find out tomorrow that he's been traded to a different team where he has a clear starting job, that's going to be that's going to be an awesome value. So I I really like that one. What about the other end of the spectrum? Any any buys that Niv made that you're like, meh, I don't know. Yeah, there was really just one. And it was it was absolutely eye
2: popping to me. And that was Eduardo Rodriguez at $19. Um I get it. Like you look at the underlying numbers and it's like Erod should have been so much better than he was, but I feel like at nineteen dollars you're you're basically paying as if he did perform up to those expected numbers and maybe even outperformed them. Nineteen dollars, that's the same price that you Darvish went for. And I, I know Darvish has his warts, and this is obviously a long term setting. And I just bring him up as a as a comp. I'm not I, I'm not trying to to turn this into a you darvish versus Erod debate. But $19 feels like a lot like, yeah, he's going to a great park and, and the Red Sox fielding was just an embarrassment last year. And that undoubtedly impacted his numbers. And that's got to be tough to go out there against these elite offenses in the AL East, knowing the guys behind you probably won't field the ball. And he went early in the auction. I'm sure that had something to do with it. If Erod came up later in the auction, you know, if this was one of Niv's guys, I don't think he would have had to pay so much. It just feels like a ton for, I mean, I watched, I, I'm a, you, as you know, Chad, I'm a Red Sox fan. So seeing this guy every five days and then seeing that he went for, you know, like four or three dollars more than Luis Castillo, it's just mind boggling I, I, that that jumped off the page.
1: Yeah, I agree. That was a that feels like a high price. There's a sort of a sense that like had he paid 19 for Anderson and 11 for Edrod instead of the other way around. Yeah, that totally. might have been <laughs> might have been better. The net net is the same. So maybe that's fine. But I, I agree. That was a little high. The, the one that I'm going to talk about, and I know it's going to upset you, so I'm just <laughs> apologizing in advance, Pete. I am, I'm out on J.D. Martinez. I wrote about him at Pitcher List last week or two weeks ago. I wrote an outfield bus article. You can go look there to see why I was out on him. He just wasn't actually very good last year. He had a really, really, really great week to start the season and then was decidedly mediocre the rest of the way. And I just... I think that's sort of all he's got left. I think he's a 13 to $15 guy. I have no, like when I say I'm out on him, it's not that I think he's, you know, ready to retire and is going to be a, a black hole and a complete disaster or something like that. I just, I don't think he's a 25 to $30 guy. I think he's a 10 to $15 guy. We'll see, but ten, 10 feels legendary. if I could
2: get JD Martinez for $10, I would do that eight days a week. With that said, you know I don't know if we actually said the price that he went at, but he ended up going for twenty three dollars. Which I'm with you. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not paying twenty three dollars for for JD Martinez. But I'd push back in the notion that he's done. I mean, you look at like I, I think sometimes we we need to look at a full season as a full season, right? And what I mean by that is a full season worth of data is more important than any selected months. And over the full season. I mean, this guy had a 128 WRC plus we're talking better than Manny Machado. We're talking better than Salvador Perez. His stack cast data across the board still looks really good. And his swing profile really didn't change all that much. I mean, he's he's, his walk rates decreased three years in a row. And I think in that format, combined with the age is concerning. And I don't think he's going to return outfield eligibility. I'd be surprised if he did going forward. Like, I think you get him in the outfield this year because of last year and you're not going to get that again. He's going to DH the rest of this year and they're going to say sayonara probably in free agency. But I don't know. I mean, $23 bottom line, I guess I'm with you too much money for for JD Martinez, but I'll be in on him in, in drafts if he's. If I'm getting you know ninth, tenth, eleventh round JD Martinez, I'll be all over that, especially because you're going to bring this up later. Outfield is not as deep as we think it is, especially in these
1: five outfield formats. So having a guy there who could go thirty and hundred, sure. Yeah, that's fair. The point of the outfield being shallow, definitely saw that a lot in this in this draft. So let's look at Niv's team overall. He left forty three dollars on the table. That is, Ooh. I think we'd agree, too much to leave on the table. We have already talked a lot about outfield issues and, and the back end of his outfield. Like he's got Eloy, who we've talked about. He's got JD Martinez, we talked about, and then his other outfielders, Patrick Wisdom, Miles Straw, Tyler Naquin. He does have Chris Bryant, although he has him slotted into his util spots. So maybe that's an unfair criticism there. Maybe, you know, he, he's a nice piece. David Peralta, Jaron Duran. Is that it? Is that all his outfielders? Brad Miller technically qualifies in the outfield. He has Ahmed Rosario at shortstop or at middle infield. He qualifies in the outfield. But basically, you've got a bunch of guys who are are maybe better off at other positions, who have a lot of question marks, or who maybe just aren't that good. You got a guy in like Duran who may not even be playing. Like We don't know what his role is going to be. And so I would feel a lot better about his team if he had another $30 outfielder. And I feel like this is like the third team we've said that about
2: yeah third or fourth because w- both you and i got that and i think uh so did so did mark's team so yeah the el- the outfield's el- concerning and you know some of these guys like like straw duran i think i'd like obviously in a roto setting because of the stolen base upside duran maybe less i i like you said i, I don't know what the role is going to be there certainly straw but in this format i i, I don't know straw does it to be fair to
1: straw he has a good on-base percentage i mean he's an on-base guy but the speed just means less, right? Yeah, the speed definitely means a lot less in in this format. I think what Niv did well, he spent in spots where I think it makes sense to spend. He spent at third base, he spent at middle infield, and then he didn't spend at first base, right? He 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 used his resources to fill the toughest spots to fill, or the the spots where things get shallow and a little bit scary, and then went cheap at first base. And like, you know, he's got belt. He's got, I, I don't think Chris Bryant qualifies at first base anymore in auto new, but he's got some options there on his roster. And I, I just think the way he handled that was the right way to handle those positions. I just wish he had spent a little bit more in the outfield. So let's jump to our next team. I, I literally just got a message from Jake because I was unsure how to pronounce his last name. And I, he tells me it's the simplest pronunciation. It is mail hot. M a i l h o t. Jake Mailhot. Jake is a writer over at Fangraphs. You should definitely go check out his work. He's got some great, great stuff over there. Looking at his team, what what do you think is the best value? What's the most interesting value you see on his roster? So it's maybe kind of a bold take, but uh, Wander
2: Franco at thirty one dollars somehow still feels like great value. And uh, like I guess this is kind of like Eloy where. You might not get that value this year, right? Like $31, you may not get that. And then you're going to probably get hit in arbitration just because of the name, even if he doesn't perform that well this season. So I could be wrong in this, but I think Franco is going to pass that $31 value pretty quickly, which to me suggests, obviously, a lot of value. I mean, he's like the infield Juan Soto, at least in terms of plate discipline. The eye at the plate is undeniably awesome. And Chad, the other one that kind of stood out to me is Alejandro Kirk at $2. I I really like that value. I think catcher is such a tough position, but we kind of brought this up earlier where like, yeah, Buster Posey's leaving the game. It looks like JT Rob Muto has taken a little bit of a step back, but there are catchers on the rise like Bart, like Kybert Ruiz. And I think Alejandro Kirk kind of fits into that. So I was surprised knowing how thin the position is, knowing this is obviously a long-term new setting. That Kirk only went for two dollars. He's not a guy who's posted terribly impressive max exit velocities, but he's consistently hit the ball really hard. He's not someone who strikes out all that often. And and last year the walk rate was ten point one percent. So I think there's certainly some upside in Kirk and 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 as a little bit of a, you know. Just to keep in mind, it was only 165 at-bats, 189 plate appearances, but in that short sample, pretty impressive. I like the $2 Kirk.
1: Yeah, I like Kirk too. I think the the reason his value is staying low is we don't know what he's going to do. Like, It's unclear if he has a job there. They still like Danny Jansen, who was much better down the stretch. They have Gabriel Moreno coming. I, it's unclear what his role is. He seems like a trade candidate. I, we'll have to see. i I will be, if he's going for $2, I will be gathering him up everywhere and I will deal with the fact that he may not have a job. <laughs> he's just like, at some point, that bat is too good at too weak a position that someone's going to give him a shot. And if it's not the Jays, it'll be someone. And I want to I be in a position to profit from that. I don't think we need to go in a ton more depth on him. Moving over to sort of worst values, I actually had Wander there. And so you and I are in a little bit of a disagreement here. And I think it has less to do... With either of us, I don't think we have very different assessments of Wander Franco as a player. I think this comes down to a risk aversion thing. And I think one of the things I'm just cautious about is Wander, for all the pedigree and all the plate discipline and all the success he had last year, is still a guy who is not yet 21. He'll turn 21, you know, middle of spring training, basically. Had only 300 plate appearances and pitchers are going to try different things out and they're going to adjust him at some point. Someone's going to figure something out, I think, and he's going to have to adjust back and there's going to be some growing pains because there almost always are. So I, I don't think our disagreement has anything to do with faith in Wander belief that he's good. I just I think it's a. I think this price feels a little bit like you paid for him or that Jake paid for him, like he's a fully developed player who won't have growing pains and and issues like that. I think there's a good chance Wander doesn't earn out $31 this year. But next year at 33, or even with some arbitration value, 37, 38, 39, could end up being great. And so it just felt like... I'm, I'm surprised that he went for such a high price so quickly, given... A limited track record and the fact that we don't we don't really know what sort of fully developed Wander looks like. I do think
2: Franco could end up being the type of player who's a better baseball player than fantasy player. Just, you know, not elite power but good power, not elite speed but but solid speed. But just the idea that he could be, you know, this this Juan Soto comp, the player who went for $75 in this draft That to me kind of stood out, but I I totally see the argument on the opposite side. I had a really hard time picking the the worst value. So yeah, I
1: I, I agree with you. It was tough to pick a bad value on this team. Did you end up finding someone you think is problematic? I it it may seem
2: like a little bit of a stretch, but I've always just been lower on Tim Anderson than the field. It seems. I I guess he's kind of like a. Uh, this is going to be unfair for many reasons, but I kind of view him like Javi Baez, a little bit BABIP dependent, um, not, you know, the greatest on base skills or, or anything like that. Certainly, I mean, he was in the bottom 1% in terms of walk rate this year, swings at everything, very BABIP driven, and his power just really isn't that great. I tweeted out the other day just because I was researching, I wanted to see if Corey Seeger, which is kind of a whole separate conversation, kind of rose to the top Because he's been so limited due to injuries, I wanted to look up basically plate appearance or or at-bats per home run, and I looked at it for all the shortstops. Needless to say, Seager really didn't stand out at all. But Tim Anderson was the last of all the names I looked at, and that included names like Freddie Galvis and Brandon Crawford. So he's not really great at getting on base. He doesn't hit for a lot of power. The speed is super overrated. I don't know why people continue to view him as like a 25 stolen base guy. I don't think he's ever even done that before. So $19 felt like a lot for a guy that really isn't that great at much.
1: Yeah, I think he's he's an interesting guy in this format because he hits at the top of a lineup that turns over a lot. Sure. And so he, leading off for that lineup, he gets a lot of plate appearances. And at the end of the day, the the value in this format is driven by points per game. And so an extra plate appearance every game, an extra plate appearance every few games adds up. I think he's closer to being a good value here than he would be in a lot of other formats. But I I sort of agree with your your major point, which is like, and i think this gets into the overall assessment of this team jake spent all but 1 dollar and he spent it well like i was trying to figure out like what do i consider a weakness on this team and like i think he's good at catcher i think he he was smart in his spend at first base he has a strong middle infield you know i you could i think we could have a debate about max muncy but we didn't know the extent of we still don't know the extent of muncy's injury i guess and we certainly didn't at that time so i have no issue with that his rotation, he's got Burns, Framber Valdez, Yavaldi, Gray, Strowman. He's got good bench depth. Like, I was real happy with his, his, the back end of his rotation where he spent $5 on Chris Bassett, $5 on Alex Cobb, $4 on Corey Seeger, $2 on Cal Quantrill. He's got some upside in guys like Alec Bowman, Frank Schwindel. He's got some depth in guys like AJ Pollock and Gio Urshela. Like, I think this is a really well constructed team. Yeah, his bench is great. I love the five
2: dollar Chris Bassett, and just the depth at third base. You know, a topic that you and I have been really honing in on over the last month and a half or so. Even if you know, let's say, worst case scenario pans out for Max Muncy, well, he still has Matt Chapman. He still has Franco, that apparently is third base eligible, Alec Boehm, and Gio Urshela. So I mean, he's he's fine at, at third base.
1: No glaring or obvious holes on this roster, from what I can see. So let's jump to the next team. This is a team that goes by Saber Cats. This team is made up, it's, it's two managers. They are guys who have been playing auto New for a long, long time. Just very experienced, very knowledgeable auto New players. So looking at their team, they, they took an interesting approach where, and I I noticed this very early in the draft that they were spending on guys whose 2023 value might actually be higher than their 2022 value. And it seems to really like that's very much coloring my interpretation of like best values, worst values. Did you see the same thing? Yeah, I noticed the the same thing, Chad. And and when you brought this
2: up, I want to say it was last week or, or maybe it was when we were discussing what we we're going to talk about on the pod. You noticed it with the high end players, right? I also noticed it with a lot of the lower tier players. Like I think Whitlock's going to perform outperform $3. I think Joe Adele at $6 is probably going to end up being a pretty awesome bargain. And Joe Ryan, a guy who you and I have been... You actually kind of turned me on to Joe Ryan, and I ended up with him in our league, and, and I really like him too. So I think there's infinite
1: potential in terms of value and bang for your, your buck on this particular squad. Yeah, and those high-end guys, I mean... $64 on Trout. I think Trout's a little bit depressed this year because of people want to see how he recovers. But if he is back to being himself, he's going to go for way more than that in the future. Acuna at $50. Again, we're, we're waiting to see how much he's going to play. And so I think that keeps his price down. Shane Bieber at 30 is not a super low price, but if he pitches like he did at his, at his peak, he's going to go for way more than that. Like I, I just really like what they did and, and and I think they're in a position where like it's hard to pick a best value because they were so focused on value. I think, you know, for me, Acuna, given their plan, might be the best because I think having a fifty-two dollar acuna next year is gonna be great. This year it might be Michael Brantley. Like they they spent nine dollars on Michael Brantley and like I have a hard time seeing him not returning mid to high teens in value. He just the guy just hits and he's showing no signs of not hitting. So I, I really like that. But their team is their team is chock full of potential values, I'll say. And
2: I got to point out, I mean, their first two pieces in the bullpen could end up being the best values on the team. I mean, we're a Josh Hader trade away from Devin Williams being a potential, you know, 18 to $20 reliever. And Craig Kimbrell is going to get traded and he is most likely going to be the closer for the team he gets traded to, which I think is another, you know, $15 to $18 reliever, which I, obviously I wouldn't pay given the, the way I typically play this kind of format or really any format in general. But when you have them for a combined like $12 like, like they do, I mean, that's that has some
1: serious upside potential. So let's go to the other end of the spectrum. When you spend for upside, sometimes you overspend for that upside or upside that isn't really there. And that's what jumped out at me is from the worst value is $11 on Noah Syndergaard just felt like Noah Syndergaard is not going to be, he's just not, that's not who he is anymore.
2: Yeah. I uh, I mean, I, I guess I can see the upside and, and and I did have the same name down as as you did for worse. I'm also not a big fan of a $16 Glaber, but Syndergaard for 11, I don't like where he's going. I don't like how obviously his career has gone. The last time we saw him, he really was not that elite. Even when he was healthy, he he just wasn't. The strikeouts were randomly disappear. Like I, I am very opposed to an eleven dollar Noah
1: Syndergaard, especially uh, not to bring up his name again. But Ian Anderson went for the same price. Yeah, well, and I think you know comparing him to to Glaber because I hear you on the sixteen dollar Glaber. The thing about Glaber is like we know. That there is a theoretical thirty dollar player in Glaber Torres, we've seen flashes of it, and he is still young enough and talented enough that if I look at this team as being built for twenty twenty three, either Glaber is a thirty dollar player and a huge value for them, or he sucks and they cut him, and it doesn't matter. The, the The difference between him and Syndergaard is like I just don't see, I just don't see it with Syndergaard. I don't see, I don't see how he gets back to that. But I don't know, maybe. What do you think of this team overall? I think it's
2: it's awesome, and I'm I'm not just saying that to be a, a kind of people pleaser, but when you have as much value as we've identified, and really the the Glaber, which like you said is stomachable, and and the Syndergaard, I'm obviously not a fan of. Outside of that, and maybe the catcher, definitely the catcher position, this team has crazy upside, uh, and definitely 2023 upside. even like the $3 Adam Wayne, right? I like, so I really, really, really like this team.
1: I think it was one of the strongest teams that, that we left the draft with. I think what they did is they went out with a plan and they executed that plan. Right. And I think that's, it's a, a really good reminder that when you enter an auction or a draft, have a plan, know what you intend to do, and then be ready to adjust. Right. I think, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face kind of thing, but like get ready and and have a plan and know what you want to do because executing against a plan will, will lead to good results. If you have a good plan and you execute against it, you'll get good results. And and that's, I think what this team did that they, they had a clear vision for what they wanted their team to be. And they went out and they built that team. And I think they will need a lot of good fortune to win this year, but they are going to be in a great spot heading into 2023. And that was what they wanted to do. So I'm, I'm impressed. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and cover the rest of the teams in this draft.
3: so
1: up next, we've got Mike Maud. Mike is the admin, one of the admins, the main admin, I'll say for the auto new slack. He's been playing auto new for a long time, knows the game real well. He is mostly a five by five guy. So we're going to see how he did in a points format. It's a little bit of a a shift for him, but I thought he did pretty well. I thought he'd had some some nice pieces in here. There's, there's some stuff I'd question, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's start at the let's start at his best values. What where, where did he where did he come up with stuff that stood out positively for you? Sure. So, Teoscar Hernandez I really like
2: at $18. He he doesn't walk, but I just think he's so good and in such a good lineup. Like I over the last 2 years, he's proven he's really good, and so $18 I felt was pretty strong. But the two I guess that really stood out, $11 Joey Votto, which tells me that I guess the room just didn't really believe in Joey Votto. I didn't really want to shell out because I spent so much at the first base position with Vlad Jr, but Votto had like a thousand home runs in like a hundred plate appearances last year. I, he's a hall of famer. Like I think those are exact numbers dollars. actually.
1: I'm pulling up fan yeah. right now. And yeah, he had a thousand home runs in <laughs> his last hundred plate appearances. Crazy. The pitchers were throwing 10 balls at once and he, he was, was hitting, hitting them all off. of them out <laughs> every time. Yeah, it was, it you was know, actually there are not a lot of players who I believe would be capable of hitting 10 balls at once, but if anyone can, Sure. Joey Votto, actually, what Joey Votto would do is you'd throw 10 balls, he would hit five of them, and the other would all be out of the strike zone. And he'd be like, I'm <laughs> avoiding those five, but I'm going to crush these five. No. Yeah, I, it wasn't quite a 1,000 and 100 plate appearances, but yeah, he was just absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Right. And
2: still, I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's a red for life. It's great ballpark to hit, and $11 just felt like a great deal. Especially, again, this is the guy with maybe the greatest eye since Ted Williams, and this is a league that rewards walks. The other one that stood out and it was kind of stolen from me. I shouldn't say stolen. I mean, I nominated him and then I was outbid for him. But uh, Robbie Grossman, I thought was great value. I like him a little bit more in Roto just because stolen bases are so hard to find. But he has great plate discipline as well. And for $5, I think he's going to way outperform that. You know, I think your barometer, Chad, is what, four points per game for a, for a hitter is kind of like a minimum that you would want on
1: your roster. I think Grossman is going to
2: far out uh, exceed that
1: yeah. F- four points per game for a hitter is, is pretty bad. I think it's like in the outfield, you can accept a guy who's at like 4.6, 4.7, but you really oh, okay. want, I thought it like, was four. No, you really want your, your offense to be up over five points per game. And so okay. either way, I think, yeah. I think Grossman should be, I agree. I have far outproduced that. Yeah. The other guy who stood out to me as, as a good value is Brandon Crawford, who, Sort of put up a new power level for himself in 2020 and then surpassed it in 2021. Talked about his fellow San Francisco Brandon before, but Crawford has a 366 woba over the last two seasons, a 361 on base, 507 slugging. He's got 32 home runs. Not 32 home runs is over 742 plate appearances because he's played a lot more than Belt did. But I mean, if he's going to hit, 20 to 25 home runs and get on base at a high clip, he is worth way more than the $7 he was paid. And I think what this, what this roster demonstrates, and we talked about it briefly, sort of indirectly on the last roster with Michael Brantley, anytime you're in a keeper league or a dynasty league or on a new league or anything else where there's long-term value, there are old guy discounts available to teams that want to win now. And going out and like, I think Belt fits that at some extent. Brantley certainly does. On this team, Votto does. Crawford does. At some extent, Grossman does. Like, these are guys everyone's like, eh, they're not that exciting. There's no like big new level coming from in the future. Who knows how much longer they'll be around. But those guys are going to produce, right? And so like... it's it's sort of the opposite of what we talked about with a guy like Eloy Jimenez or Wander Franco, where those guys, you might be overpaying for what you get this year because of what you believe you'll get in the future. With these guys, you're underpaying what you're going to get this year because people are scared they're going to get nothing in the future. But hey, flags fly forever. And those guys will put you in a real good position right now. What did you think were sort of less impressive values? Anything that stood out to you at the other end of the spectrum with this team? I'm not going to dive too deep on this particular one but just because Nick Pollock tore me to shreds for drafting him in the
2: mock we had a little over a month ago, Herman Marquez for $6 just felt certainly like a lot. But Max Fried at $21, I love Max Fried. I think Max Fried is very good, but it felt like you're paying for his playoff performance, which maybe he's just dope, but I don't know, $21 for Max Fried kind of felt like a lot in this particular setting.
1: What what was the issue with Marquez for you? I thought Marquez at 6 bucks, like he seems like a guy like he clearly has upside. He could break out. He's been weird because you haven't been able to use him on the road or at home. But what what was the issue with him? Sure.
2: Uh, the price, really. I mean, which is obvious, right? But I mean, I don't know. I, I'd have to look at some of the pitchers that went for less than $6. But if you're drafting, or I should say, if you're bidding on Herman Marquez and you get up to that $6, $7 mark, I think you're kind of investing a little bit too much in a potential emergence of that second half of 2018 or whatever it was. He's really shown no signs of that over the last couple of years. And it's just been so inconsistent that I'd rather just take that $6 and invest it in some in a prospect or something like that. Like The last team we looked at got Joe Adele for $6, not to compare a prospect hitter to a, a, a core starting pitcher. But like I just think that money can be better spent than the
1: dart throw that is Herman Marquez. I think you should be able to get him for $2, $3, $6 felt like a lot. This is going to get into sort of my overall evaluation of the team, but my my biggest sort of negative value or worst value on this team was Walker Bueller, who I just don't think belongs in the DeGrom, Cole tier of elite starting pitching. And at $41, he's being paid like that. And, and I think that cascades down a bit where with that much spent on that one Pitcher, you know, his rotation now, he's got that $41 Bueller. He's got a $29 Robbie Ray. Okay. I think those guys will produce. I think they're, I think Bueller is probably overpaid, but fine. Then he's got that $21 Max Fried that you already talked about. He's got a $7 Luis Severino who is still trying to work his way back. He's got a very Talented but unproven $13 Michael Kopak. He's got that Herman Marquez we talked about. He's got John Means, Marco Gonzalez, James Caprellian, Chris Archer, Adrian Hauser. Like there are it gets real thin in that rotation real fast. And I think had he I think had he spent 25 bucks on a pitcher who wasn't Walker Bueller instead of 41 on Bueller and then spread out that $15, $16 of savings over the rest of his rotation. He'd end up with a lot more sustainable depth, and still have the same top-end talent, and and so to me, there's sort of a, a an interplay here where I think he overspent on Bueller, and it and it caused him to have a questionable rotation. Yeah, the the forty-one dollar
2: Bueller. I guess now when I look at, it, I mean, I just see the name Walker Bueller, and I just assume like, okay, you know, solid, but forty-one, especially when you compare him to some of those other arms that that went in that price
1: range I could see it especially considering who knows what the strikeouts are really going to be with Walker Bueller I just think there's enough questions there that to me he's not he has not established himself as be belonging in that elite tier and he's paid to here like he is so let's jump over to Justin viber Justin viber best known for creating the surplus calculator so he is the guy who, a lot of people look to to set the values out there. And so his draft, I think is probably one that a lot of auto new veterans are going to be looking at to see what he did. Anything that stood out to you as sort of a great value for him. I really like Shane McClanahan at
2: $15. When you talk about like pitching in the perfect park, having an awesome breakout again, when other rookies were struggling, Shane McClanahan kind of stood out and just elite upside K potential. I, I think McClanahan absolutely deals. And then, I mean, you can, I always feel weird saying that such a high-priced player is a deal. And maybe this is my bias as a Red Sox fan coming through after watching this guy just destroy our dreams in the ALCS. But Jordan Alvarez at $36, I think that's good value. <laughs> like, right? I mean, he's awesome. Outfield, I mean, this is a five outfield league and $36, I feel like he's more of like a $40 to $45 player.
1: So I even there, I thought was some, some good value. Yeah, I actually think Justin got some great values in the high price players. I agree with you on Alvarez. I think Stanton at $29, like, yes, there's always the question of how much Stanton's going to play, but he doesn't have to play a ton to produce more than $29 in value, I don't think. Alvarez, I'm a little bit... I really like Alvarez. I'm not sure he's a great value only because I think that $36 is pretty close to what he projects for. And his projection is actually better than what he put up in 2021. But it's also not nearly as good as what he put up in 2019. So I'm, there's room for him to be better than this for sure. I think it's more likely that Alvarez is the sort of the right price rather than a a a great value in order for him to sort of repeat what he did in 2019. I mean, if you look at what he did in 2019 versus 2021, we can ignore the nine plate appearances in 2020. Between those two years, he brought his strikeout rate down, but he did that by he swung a bit... Well, actually, he didn't really swing a bit more. He just made a little bit more contact, but it brought down his walk rate as well. So his his walk rate dropped by more than his strikeout rate dropped. And then he also, in 2019, had a huge 366 BAPIP and a 32.9% home run per fly ball rate. The way he hits the ball, I think he's capable of posting a high BAPIP and a high home run per fly ball rate. I don't think he can go quite that high. And so... I think if I'm looking at his Steamer projection, it's projecting a, a continued decrease in his strikeout rate, a, his walk rate coming up a bit, a BAP up around 313, which might be a little bit low. And Steamer doesn't directly project, or at least Frank Graft doesn't directly show a projected home run per fly ball rate, but I think he ends up probably closer to his career level, which is 25.6 than he did last year, which was 21.4. But I, I don't know that all of that added up necessarily gets him to the forty to forty five dollar level as much as it gets him sort of the thirty-five to forty dollar level, which is where he's paid here. But the upside is there, right? It's not impossible that he has a 30% home run per fly ball rate, reaches it, reaches back to what he was doing in 2019. I think it's I don't it's not what I expect though. But I really like overall what this team did at the top of their roster. You know, you can talk about the injury risk with deGrom or Judge or Stanton for that matter, but like Judge Alvarez, Stanton, a twenty-six dollar Altuve, I think is a good value. Twenty-one dollar Buxton, you get a little bit more questionable, but I like that, especially if he's healthy. Like those are his most expensive players, and they're and none of them feel like overpays to me. And so I had sort of a hard time when I wanted to look at where did I think he came up with an overpay, and I ended up going with thirteen dollar Kershaw only because there is some injury risk there. But like if he's healthy, that's a great value. So I. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't see any obvious bad values on this team. What about you? So I didn't either, which is why I had to
2: go with four names in conjunction. So like these okay. four names to together to me make a bad value, and that's forty nine dollar DeGrom, twenty dollar Carlos Rodon, seventeen dollar Pablo Lopez, and thirteen dollar Clayton Kershaw. We're talking about $100, so a hundred dollars, so a quarter of your budget spent on first of all two guys who weren't even given qualifying offers, which led us all to believe that it has something to do with injury. Referring to Carlos Rodon and, and Clayton Kershaw, and neither has signed yet, which just helps build that mysteriousness behind them. And so one of them on their own, especially a $13 Kershaw, like you just said, I'm okay with, like, that's cool. Like, take take the risk. But then you add in a, a super expensive Jacob deGrom, who is maybe the next most worried about pitcher in terms of injury risk going into drafts. And then you balance that out with a $17 Pablo Lopez, who is not old, obviously, but he's not super young either. He's going to be going to his age 26 season where we're expecting to see some serious developments and he has yet to pitch over 111 innings. So I look at these four names and I just think the bottom out potential really due to injuries is astronomical. So individually,
1: I wouldn't have minded any of those, but together, I see a concern. Yeah, I, I can I can totally see that. And I think that plays into sort of my my overall evaluation of this roster. Justin has no money left over. So he spent every single cent. And because of those values he got early on at high prices, he hit dollar days real early. He was the first guy stuck at one dollar bids. And when you look at his bench, it shows it is so he's got and, and the the result is he's got that risky rotation and then Behind them, $1 Kyle Hendricks, $2 Yusei Kikuchi, a $1 Dane Dunning, $1 Brady Singer, a $1 Nick Martinez, like just a bunch of guys that I'm not feeling really good about. His bench bats are, you know, a $10 Verdugo, which isn't bad, maybe. $2 Darren Ruff could be good. But then David Fletcher, uh, Cooper Hummel, Garrett Cooper should be fine. But like, I I don't know. he spent on some prospects, which should help him. Right so he's got Jose Miranda, George Valera, Aurelvis Martinez, Anthony Volpe and Francisco Alvarez who are all going to have trade value if he needs to build back some of that depth but he spent so much early on it's sort of a stars and scrubs approach and the the scrubs are bad and at least on the pitching side the stars have a lot of risk to them and so that that leaves me a little I'd be a little anxious if I were Justin.
2: Yeah, I would too. Kind of anecdotally, I mean, a, a $1 Kyle Hendricks, I actually kind of like, right? I mean, a guy that was being drafted as a, as a top 100 player a year ago. And there's many reasons why he's going for a dollar, particularly in this format. But still, I, I kind of like it, especially when you have so much risk in the rotation. And I love a $1 Carson Kelly.
1: But otherwise, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, a, that's a tough bench. It's a tough bench. So let's jump to, we got two teams left. Next one we're going to talk about was drafted by Eno Saris. Eno, you should all know from the Athletic and the Rates and Barrels podcast. Eno has, has a special place in Auto new history. He and Niv, who we mentioned before, were friends in the Bay Area, and Eno was the one who put Niv in touch with Fangraphs and got Auto New sort of out into the the broader world. So he's played a big role in the history of Auto new. He's played Auto new for a long time. He he also knows the format pretty well. That said, I do have. Some things I want to see, I like. Some things I don't like. Uh, to start, he he also touched on the old guy value with Charlie Morton, who I just think he paid twenty bucks for Morton. Until Charlie Morton shows that age actually affects him in any way, <laughs> he's he should be treated more like a twenty-five to thirty dollar ace, and because that's what he's been. So I just I love that. I thought that was a great buy. Yeah, yeah. I like Morton. Obviously, you know, in a longer term setting, a guy that's been threatening retirement
2: for years now—it's almost like Brett Favre reincarnated on a less popular scale. And I it, that that sounds mean. I like Charlie Morton, and I think it's good value there. Obviously, in a longer term setting, maybe a, a, like a little bit of a younger player, but you can't—they can't all be young, right? The best values that stood out to me, Chad. There wasn't like one individually that I was like, "Wow, that's crazy, awesome value." But these, I guess, four really stood out were Trent Grisham at 13, Ian Hap at 11, Tanner Houck at 10. And obviously, this would be different now, but Razel Iglesias at $9 just feels awesome. So you're not surprised to hear how I'm going to ignore that I said that. But Grisham and Hap, I really, really liked. I think in this format, they could be awesome. Grissom's a great buy low between the speed and the eye at the plate like no matter the format I'm I'm going to kind of like him this year because he's going to be going so late and I think a lot of people forgot about what Ian
1: Hap did in September so there's not like one that that really jumps
2: off the page but I think all four of those were, were pretty strong.
1: Yeah I'm a fan of all those guys Grissom in particular did write up Grissom at pitcher list you'll see what I did there I'm, I I think he's gonna have a, a a real big bounce back I'll be in on Hap as well. How interestingly and I like Hauk. I'm not going to put you on the defensive here, Pete. Watch your tone. (laughs) But he showed up for me in my list. I sort of did something similar on worst value that you did on best value, which I have a list of guys. And and basically what it comes down to is I think he overpaid for a lot of his pitchers. That's like Logan Gilbert, Tanner Houck, Jose Arquiti, and John Gray, all... project to be less valuable than what he paid for them. However, those of you who follow Eno know that pitching is his jam and he, he puts a lot of time and effort into his pitching rankings and and how he evaluates pitchers and he does not evaluate pitchers the same way everyone else does, which means that his values are different. And so this, this has a very strong, I'm going to go get my guys kind of vibe to it. And so Part of what this has done is like, I am now higher on Arkady, How Gilbert, and Gray than I was before this draft because the fact that Eno felt like he should overpay for them is sort of telling to me. But when I look at values, it still feels like he overpaid for them. And those guys are really like his two, three, four, five. I mean, that's not true. There's three, four, five, six is what they are because he's got Garrett Cole, who he spent 49 on, Morton, who we talked about. And then Urquidy, Gilbert Hauk. And then who are his other pitchers? So they're, oh, John Gray, who we already talked about, Soroka, Rich Hill, Adbert Alzalay, Reaver San Martin. I, I just it felt like he overpaid for some of those guys and put himself in a position where he's sort of it's it's a lot of questionable depth for me. But I also I defer to Eno on pitching quite a bit. And so he's like... It's like when I think about like, who am I trusting on a starting pitcher? Like if I'm going to go after a starting pitcher, it's like Nick Pollock, Alex Fast, Eno Saris. If those three guys are in on a pitcher, I'm in on him. I have a hard time. It's like it's like tearing me up to even say this, but I think he overspent on those guys. Yeah, I, I don't...
2: But I guess this is the place to overspend, right? Because we're talking by a few dollars as opposed to at the top where you can overspend by, you know, 15, 20. I really only had John Gray. You know, obviously, I said I liked Gilbert and I like Hauk. John Gray at $9 does kind of feel like we're just, and I'm not putting words in his mouth or or anybody else's. But when I see that, I think like, okay, he left course, so he's going to be good now. And it's like, ah, well, and that's not to say that he was entirely that bad before because he wasn't. But I, I don't, you know how I feel about cores. I think sometimes we buy in too quickly because a guy goes there because a hitter goes there. And then we buy in too quickly because a pitcher leaves there. And I, I don't subscribe, especially
1: in the first year after that movement. That makes sense. And I, I think we have to see what he does. But it's, it is interesting to me that, that those, those are guys, you know, spent on. If my takeaway, if I were listening to this would be look closer at those guys and, and figure out why, you know, likes them because he's a smart man. Looking at his team overall, he only has two dollars left. I think we've talked enough about like that's probably not enough money. I don't know. The two things I think he needs one is he needs to be right about his pitchers, but I think that's true for everyone. <laughs> I also just think he needs one more big bat. I mean, looking at his his roster right now, his outfield, he's got Soto at the top of his outfield. That's great. We talked about Christian Hap. He's also got Fran Mel Reyes, but then he's got Dylan Carlson. Austin Hayes and like Hayes is lined up as his util right now his other util options are Mike Mustakis, Nate Lowe Abraham Toro Lamont Wade you know maybe Brendan Davis emerges maybe Brandon Marsh emerges but like I really think he could use one more big bat and he, he he's got to figure out how to go get that I think yeah you, you brought up Davis and Marsh I think
2: the most likely to emerge at least from that bench would be Josh Jung who we should see fairly quickly if not to start the year and who knows? Maybe he could kind of kind of fill that void, but I, I had that kind of same takeaway. feels like there's maybe a bat missing, and that's going to happen when you spend $75 on
1: one hitter. Yeah, but if you're going to spend $75 on one hitter, one better Soto's be one. Yeah. <laughs> so one last team to cover. This team is called Klondovs. This team is managed by the two guys who were the finalists in the inaugural season of the auto new prestige league this year they have both been playing Auto new for a while and i think that the fact that they both did so well in opl is a a testament to the fact that they know what they're doing looking at their roster who stands out to you where do you think they did well yeah so the
2: the parts they did well i thought was pretty easy i love a five dollar pablo sandoval I, i think he's awesome and and he showed it obviously a back injury stress fracture in the back that's that's concerning But that is more than baked into a five dollar cost. So to get a a player with that level of upside, or I'm sorry, not Pablo Sandoval. Oh God,
1: I was about to question you. It's like you know, it's PTSD as a Red Sox (laughs) man. I guess Pablo Sandoval might have some upside, but uh, I I think he's more of a watcher. Sandoval Patrick, (laughs) he's Patrick Sandoval, Patrick Sandoval,
2: as Nick would call him, the Irish Panda. (laughs) <laughs> he was lights out before his injury. He was. I mean, he had back-to-back double-digit strikeout games and he was locked in looking like finally the Angels had hit on a pitcher. Then he gets the stress fracture in his back. And I think that led a lot of people to to kind of forget about what he did. I can't believe he went for $5. I I was asleep at the wheel to see that he went that cheap and a $9 Mark Cana, right? Assuming he's playing every day for the Mets, elite on base skills, that lineup looks like it's going to be much improved, although I feel like we've we've said this before with the Mets. So I kinda of like Marquina. It it's just $9
1: felt like a good value there. Yeah, and I think to almost sort of pile on to the buy-lows here. They spent six dollars, I believe, on Willie Calhoun. They spent two dollars on Tommy Listella. They spent See, Rowdy Tellez was only a couple bucks, I think. Yeah, $1 for Tellez, $1 for Miguel Sano. Yulieski Guriel. I, I don't even... He doesn't even count as a buy low at $1 because he was good last year. So I don't really know why we're getting a buy low on him. But like, it just feels like this team loaded up on good, inexpensive, playable depth. And you know part of that might be... If you look at how you build a strong team for the Auto New Prestige League, where it's a best ball format, you want a lot of depth. You want depth that can play. You want guys in your lineup who qualify at multiple positions, which they have in guys like Kena, Schwarber, Luis Urias, Tatis, France guys on their bench like Alcides Escobar and Garrett Hampson who are not necessarily the most exciting players but do qualify at multiple spots which really helps in a best ball format like OPL and so if they were building this team thinking about the Otter New Prestige League I think they've done a really nice job and even if they weren't like all of those buy low guys and all those inexpensive guys like they're going to produce some value. I was
2: surprised you didn't mention one of your boys there Chad Luis Urias of Milwaukee. I know it it must have hurt for you to see him go. I, I guess to to kind of transition to what I what I don't like, I think it should be obvious, right? I mean, the think about the twenty twenty one seasons of Justin Verlander, Blake Snell, Hugh Darvish, and Mike Clevenger, and 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 that's the first four names in their rotation. So obviously, those four names have all been elite at different points, and and I should we should acknowledge right that Shohei Otani is also there. That's unfair of me to not to not mention that, but that's a lot of risk before you get to to Patrick Sandoval there. So I could see it going in many different directions, but that's. Obviously, what what stood out to me.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I, I you know I I'm not super concerned about Verlander and Clevenger. I think they'll come back fine. So I'm, I'm I I don't know. I look at that rotation. It's like I, I really like Snell. I really like Verlander. You got Otani, Sandoval. Yeah, I think I like Darvish is the one who stands out to me as sort of feels risky. The others I'm I'm sort of okay with. the The bat that stood out to me in in a sort of a concerning way is Charlie Blackman, who I just. I don't know. He, he started off 2020 with this like, oh, Charlie Blackman might hit 400. And he's just been bad since then. And I I, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of hope he's going to turn it around. I, guess I, say, I hope he turns it around because he's a fun player and it's fun when he's doing well. Don't have a lot of optimism that that's actually going to happen.
2: Yeah, it's funny you say that. That was that was the one name I had down. I mean, those pitchers, I guess I kind of view them as like I did with, with Justin Vibber's team. It's like in conjunction, those four names together, that's a lot of risk. But Blackman as in a in a vacuum, I guess, probably my least favorite value. It's 2% of your budget for a guy who I I don't know. I mean, I, that lineup's going to be bad. I don't care if they're playing at course. That's a bad team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So looking at this team overall, they have no money left over. And I think the big things they need, like they need a lot of these bounce backs that they bought on to, to hit. Like if Calhoun and Trevor Larnock and LaStella and Sano and Tellez and all those guys pan out, and then you add in like Clevenger and Verlander, like if all these guys bounce back, this team's going to be awesome. But I do think to your point, they could really use another solid starting pitcher. I think they're just, they just need one more. Yeah.
2: and I, I mean, I think Patrick Sandoval could end up being that, but even then there's a lot of bottom out potential
1: with, with those first four names, not including yeah. Shohei. So we have now covered all 12 teams in this draft. Any sort of overall takeaways anything you walked out of this that you're like oh i'm gonna think differently in my drafts or my auctions because of stuff i saw here
2: maybe the biggest takeaway for me is how different a first year auction is than than how i should be valuing my my players and how i approach the auction in leagues that have been going on for quite some time right like i'm super excited to have a brandon rogers for three dollars because he went for thirteen dollars here but then you look at some of the other values and, and i wish i had more specifics on my mind but like Man, should I be holding on to player X when, in a redraft or or a first year auction, he went for less? Like, I, I, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to verbalize is this is so different. Than leagues that have been going on for a while that have gone through the arbitration process multiple times that have teams that have specific needs, teams that maybe leave an auction with $40 because they actually have you know $420 worth of value on their team. Whereas in a first year auction, that's obviously just not the case. There's no way to really know or quantify that. So it, it was interesting. I think the flow of the auction also was quite interesting. It really depended on when a player was brought up for auction that, that affected their value. Like Eduardo Rodriguez, I'm going to keep coming back to that one. It just really sticks out to me not to pile on, on, on Niv. You probably end up winning this thing, but Erod for $19, $3, $4 more than Luis Castillo and the same as you, Darvish. Like, wow. And that I think was because Erod was one of the first pitchers brought to auction that clearly affected his value. So, I tried to do the same with Garrett Whitlock, where I was like, you know what? I like Whitlock, but I I think he's going to be kind of a swing role. I don't know how valuable he's going to be over the next one to two years in terms of fantasy value. I'll just nominate him. Somebody will, you know, drop 10 bucks on him and I can just start chipping away. And they didn't. They got him for $3. So, it's not a foolproof strategy to nominate somebody early to get them to get bid up on. But that definitely seemed to be the case for some of those early names.
1: Yeah, I think that's true, and I, I think that I, I got caught up in that at first base, where I the second and third most expensive first baseman in this draft were my forty six dollar Freddie Freeman and my thirty five dollar Matt Olson. I'm fine with those guys as the second and third most expensive first baseman behind Vlad. I just think like you wait a lot longer in this draft, and you got a fourteen dollar CJ Crone, a thirteen dollar Brandon Belt twelve dollar Anthony Rizzo, a twelve dollar Joey Votto, Yuli Gurriel went for one dollar, uh, a three dollar Trey Mancini. Like, there's so many values at first base, and I think one of the big takeaways for me is that I'm gonna I'm gonna be waiting on first base much more than I would have expected. Obviously, I came into this thinking I was going to spend at first base, and I did. I, I think my future drafts, I'm going to be waiting on first base. Whereas, on the other hand. I didn't really jump into the early spending at third base. And I sort of wish I had. I ended up with Josh Donaldson at $19, which I think is fine. I'm perfectly happy with that. I think it's a pretty good value. But you got Ramirez for 45 Devers for 40 Machado for 37 And then very quickly, you get into like $32 Bregman might be great, might not. $27 Austin Riley is a pretty high price, but I think a fair price. But some questions around like, can he repeat what he just did? $23 Chris Bryant is way more than he projects to be worth. Anthony Rendon at $21. Uh, he was so bad last year, even before he got hurt. And then you're getting into guys like Yon Moncada, Justin Turner, okay, Brian Hayes, like just lots and lots of question marks and concerns. And so for me, I thought, okay, I'll be able to find something at third base. I'm going to spend at first base. Like, I-, I wish I'd waited at first base. I wish I'd spent at third base. If I could swap out my 45 46 dollar freeman for a 45 dollar jose Ramirez and my 19 dollar donaldson for any 19 dollar or less first baseman i think I'd be much better off and so that that was a big takeaway for me is like just first base is actually i i feel like their first base has been getting less deep but right now it feels very deep to me
2: yeah, I, I agree. I think there's also some first baseman on the rise that we're going to see soon like Cassis and, and, and Torkelson and so on and so forth in, in this kind of format that really matters. On a position by position basis, I agree. Like There are times where you want to wait, where you don't want to wait. But something I, I, I think we saw in this mock auction was the people who waited to spend period, Like just waited out the draft. They ended up with too much money left over and they lacked star power. And I think that is devastating for their team. So, do I want to have a super expensive Manny Machado and a super expensive Austin Riley? Maybe not. But when I look at the depth of my roster and the star power of my roster, I'm actually pretty happy that I ended up spending up. And I'm sure you are as well with Olsen and Freeman, because I think you're looking at competing this year. Whereas people who left the draft with, you know, 30 40 $50, they
1: might. They might find some trouble competing this first year. That's a really good point. It's it's not wait. It's not a a simple wait and don't spend because early guys are too expensive. It's be smart about where you spend early. Spend early at positions you might have a hard time filling later. But don't don't ignore the stars just because they're expensive because you you won't be able to come back and spend on them later. And and we definitely saw that. You know, I think we talked a little bit last episode, less this episode, but like having that forty or fifty bucks left over is way too much. You've left too much on the table. A lot of teams here also had zero or one dollars left over. You want to have some money available for free agency. Like spring training will eventually happen, and when spring training happens, some pitcher is going to add velocity, and some hitter is going to get a job, and somebody's going to get traded, and also an open up opportunity. Uh and you wanna have money to spend there, and so I think you 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 ended up with what ten bucks is that right? like that's a pretty good place to be. I could see being at fifteen or twenty being at twenty five thirty forty is just too much, I think, yeah, so I think we've covered this in as much depth as we can. If if you've got questions about it or anything like that, any topics you'd like us to cover related to this draft or not, let us know. You can find us on Twitter at keep or cut. That's cut with a K. You can also find us at Pete B Baseball is Pete at Chad Young is me. Don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you're listening and leave ratings. Spotify just added star ratings for podcasts. We would love to get some ratings up there. Those really help us find new listeners and helps keeps us around too. So go ahead, leave us ratings, leave us reviews. Remember to subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in a couple weeks.